welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right. The first question was anonymous. Anonymous. That didn't sound right. And the question is, what is the meaning of 1 Corinthians 34 and 35. So there is no 1 Corinthians 34 or 35. So the meaning is you should read your Bible. (laughs) And since it's anonymous, nobody can be like, Pastor Steve said something terrible to me. No, you wrote it. There are three three possibilities. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 chapter 14, or chapter 15. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that probably ain't it. Uh, 15, possibly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is often referenced with lots of questions. Um, But I would, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say, based upon the fairly legible handwriting that this is from a gal. Watch how this works. I'm in the spirit. (laughs) Which likely means 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. Now, I'm not going to untap all of this. I actually, uh, all of you are... Uh, kid, Josiah, if you don't mind. Yeah, that we'll start in the King James. So I'll read these two verses to you in the King James, and I'll switch over to the BSB. But these, these are some of the verses in Scripture that doctrine-slash-theologian-oriented people have been having small wars over for 2,000 years. And I mean small wars. Uh, In fact, this church, the church that you are currently sitting in, this building, when it was built, had two separated sections. The guys were on this side, and the gals were on this side, which is why those doors back there behind the sound booth are there. If you've never known, there's doors there where the gals were allowed to come in, and these doors, the guys were allowed to come in. And guys sat here, and gals sat here. To, in order to make sure everybody knew that the, the dividing, the deviation between the two was very real. That was not God's intention. But people got this uh, rightly. They came by it honest. Because the Old Testament is very patriarchal, which is male-dominant. And even the New Testament, you know, the Lord had zero female disciples. Had zero female leaders, even in his organization. Uh, the, The eldership that Paul and Peter both talk about 
in their epistles are very male dominant. And so it is, it has been something that has literally been wars that have been fought over this doctrinally. I would refer you to, if you, there's absolutely no way that Kay and I are going to untangle something that they've been fighting over 2,000 years in a 10 minute answer to a question. So, I will definitely refer you to the fact that Dr. Benchmer has done some incredible videos on this. The theological terminology is egalitarian or complementarian. It's kind of the two sides. Egalitarian means that, um, that there is, there's basically no separation whatsoever. Her and I are exactly equal in every aspect of of life, of family, of ministry, of natural things, of supernatural things, and whoever's better at whatever. She's better at laundry, I'm better at dishes, she's better at raising kids, I'm better at whatever. That's, that's the egalitarian generalities. Complementarian means that um, the man, the husband, and the father have a little bit more of a, a higher rank, so to say. And so, therefore, that's why the husband is the head of the house and there, there's a male domination in, in life and ministry. I, I personally, because this is how I roll, I'm not either. I'm not an egalitarian or a complementarian. I'm actually somewhere in the middle. I'm not better than Kay. I'm different. There's things I'm better at, and there's things she's better at. I'm totally okay with that. But whenever you have, you can never have a two or three headed dragon. So we have an elder board here that I submit to. If the elders uh, say that we're going to do something, I don't like usurp them or, or trump them with my vote. I've never done that. And I don't ever plan on doing that. If God's given me a bunch of spiritual leaders and elders that are a part of the church and they all feel one way and I feel a completely different way, I am likely to take that back to the Lord and say, what in the world? Why am, why am I off or all of them together off? But there's no way that you put us together. But if the elders were in charge, this is what we have in a lot of churches, if you have a elder driven church or a deacon possessed church most of the southern baptists are deacon possessed <laughs> then they're they're on purpose fighting against the leadership and the and the visionary aspect every senior pastor has to have a little bit of an apostolic calling because they need to be charting a path and creating vision and direction for the church and the elder board, their job is to come in to support, to complement, making all of that happen. So if the elder board was in charge, let's say there's five elders, then you would have five leaders. So then what happens if there's a disagreement? Now, I want you to think about this. This democratic process is only something new in the last couple hundred years. God didn't have democracy in the Bible. We we came up with that to keep people from shooting each other. God doesn't believe like the majority has the right to take away your thing. Just so just so you know, America is not a democracy. Every time you hear that, you need to rebut it. Amen. America is not 
a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. What that means is your rights are solidified in the Constitution no matter if 51% like it or not. Because in a raw, demo, uh, in a raw democracy, if, I, if, if, the, if 51% of you decide that you want my truck, in a democracy, you take my truck. Doesn't matter what I think, because I'm in the minority. So you need to make sure that you get this about our government. Our government was never set up to be a democracy. We are a constitutional republic, and we elect our representatives in a democratic fashion. Okay, please get that right. God didn't set up a marriage or a church or anything like that to be a democracy. The more that votes. Dad wants to go on vacation and go camping where there's no running water. And the kids and mom outvote him. That, that's not how it's supposed to work. We as a family should be working on this. Now I would lean towards, no, I probably not, because I know my wife. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even lean that way. But if you have five elders at a church, then three of them are going to decide what the church is. And do you not know what's happening in our nation? All you got to do is get 51% to take your money. And you can go, if you were here last night, you found out what happens in a democracy that's not being ruled right. You bribe a bunch of people, pay a bunch of people to do a bunch of evil stuff. And everybody suffers. That's not God's system. God's system is that there is a leader. And so in our family, I'm the leader. Not because I'm the guy, not because God demands it, but because we've all agreed to this place. She's submitted to that, and I submit to her to lead other things too. But if it comes down to just a raw disagreement, she believes this and I believe this, which I really honestly can't even remember a time that that's ever happened. But somebody has to make a decision. But we're talking about natural, carnal things. So let me read these so you, you, get, you understand where we're going here. So it says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Those are tenuous verses. And it takes a ton of unpacking to understand what's going on here. But I will tell you this. Culturally, what was going on in the Gentile churches of that day was there was a lot of very dominant, domineering, emasculating women. And so... Just like in our culture, we have a lot of this in our culture, and they actually call it good, this women's lib, and I'm a woman, hear me roar, and, and watch me emasculate my husband in public, and I can do it good, and everybody feels awesome about me. It's terrible. It's wicked. And that was happening in this church, and so Paul was writing to correct 
something that was wrong. There's, there's more of this in First Timothy. We'll go there in a second. But don't... The whole book, especially First and Second Corinthians, if you are not aware that the context of First and Second Corinthians is that Paul is fixing a bunch of stupid, then you haven't paid attention. There was a ton of stupid in this Corinthian church. And so a lot of the things that are in there is to correct. And so what this is, I'm just going to give you a flyby of this because I don't want to tear, I don't want to break down every single word. But basically what this is saying is that, uh, back, back up, kid. So women, in the Greek, there is no word for wife. There's only, in the Greek, there's only the word woman. This is important. Because what this is specifically referencing is wife. If you change this to wife, it's going to start to give you a little bit more depth. So what he was say, what was happening was these women were coming in, these domineering, uh, emasculating women were coming in, and they were kind of uh, one-upping on their husbands in the spiritual environment. And so Paul corrected that. Hey, wives, the worst thing, I can just say this in generalities, the worst thing a wife could ever, ever, ever do is emasculate or dishonor their husband. Ever. It would be better, wife, for you to slap him in the face than to ever dishonor or emasculate. I'm telling you. And, and I know people might want to argue with me, and they might. It'd be better for you to steal a credit card and run up 20 grand. No, I don't want to. Don't do that. Don't do any. <laughs> but I'm, I'm saying to especially public, and, and some gals, I'm going to look right at YouTube. Some gals are professionals at it. They're so professional at it, they don't even know they're doing it. And sometimes I'm standing there when it's happening, and it makes me want to throw up. And I'm not going to correct anybody, because God forbid you tell a wife that she's not being a good wife. Because then she'll want to emasculate me. And I'm not the kind of guy that allows anyone to emasculate them. And I'm just not going to get in that fight. If that gal wants to live that way, she can live that way. And if that husband puts up with it, me standing there telling them that they're doing it wrong ain't going to fix a thing. Now, if they come to me and they submit to my leadership and my help in that situation or Kay and I, we'll help them. But for me to just insert myself into that situation would make the war worse. Uh, any, anybody ever been a police officer in here? We need more cops. <laughs> well, or you haven't been defunded, so God bless you. Uh, a police officer, the worst, almost the worst calls that police officers could ever be called on is domestic violence. You know Why? Because both of them are your enemy. A wife's getting beat up. The cop shows up, restrains the guy. He's drunk and stupid. So while he's restraining the guy, the wife, to protect her guy now, is going to attack the police officer that came to rescue her from the abuse. I am telling you, I've known tons and tons of cops 
and they hate domestic violence calls. And just so you know, about 40% of the calls that they get regularly are domestic violence calls. It, what, what, I'm, what I hope that you're picking up here is that if I was the police officer while a woman is emasculating a man, I'm going to get attacked twice. The guy's going to be like, nobody asked you, and the gal's going to be like, who do you think you are, and do whatever I want to do with my man. So I just stay out. I will not. So if you're, if you're out there thinking, well, Pastor Steve's seen me doing something, no way. No way. I'm going to stay right here on my track. I'm going to be at my pulpit. I'm going to preach you the truth. And if you want to emasculate your husband and carry his stuff around in your purse, God bless you, and God bless him for letting you. But it is ungodly. And that's what Paul was dealing with. These gals were popping off in the church, and he said, hey, you need to stop it. It is not appropriate at all. For it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are uh, commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Uh, Next verse, please, kid. If they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. So what this was doing was that Paul was putting this dynamic back into play to where the husband and the wife had to at least start off together on trying to figure these things out instead of the, instead of the gals just uh, running roughshod over some of the church services. All right, go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 and 12, please, kid. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. 11, 12, and 13. Actually, we're going to do three verses. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, King James. Yeah, that, we can start there. Uh, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. Actually, uh, go to the BSV, because the King James is really kind of funky here. A woman must learn in quietness. This word quietness, it's not silence like button your lip, woman. It's talking about uh, in a peaceful way. You know, you can't really learn without this attitude. It's not just a gal thing. It's, a, it's learning. You cannot learn if you are not truly humble and submitted to what's being told you in a quiet, receptive way. I've had people come up and they want to debate me and argue with me about stuff. I'm done. I'm out. You're not. You don't want to know the truth. You just want to fight with me about what you believe. If you ever want to know the truth, then don't fight me. And I'll tell you the truth. If you don't like it or you don't agree, that's fine. Let's have a grown-up adult conversation about it. But whenever that turns into attack, what did Jesus do every time they tried to trap him and attack him? He blasted them. And they blasted them so good that they had to shut up because they couldn't... Re- they, could not resist the wisdom in which he spoke. So if you actually, so if you come up with that attitude, pharisaical or sadducical attitude, and you want to argue with me and debate me, whatever, I'm going to blast you with the truth and walk off. I'm done. But if you're actually honest and, and meek and quiet and humble, and you really, really want to know the truth and not just justify yourself, I'll tell you the answer. It'll be a great conversation. We'll work it out. So this isn't even just a, a gal thing. This is a people thing. But specifically in the church, this was not happening. So he was reiterating what needed to happen. 
The and again, here's woman should be wife. A better translation of the word woman here would be wife. A wife must learn in quietness and full submissiveness. Again, submission. If you don't have submission, you ain't learning. If you need to be slapped around and threatened to learn something, you're ignorant. And you are going to have a very long, hard, arduous life. Now, some people want to do it that way. They want to be all hard-headed. They even brag about it. I'm, I'm, I'm real hard-headed. I'm like a donkey. I'm this and that. I'm, the last thing you want to brag about is being that way. That is stupid. You should be submissive and quiet and humble. Next verse, please. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. In the King James, it's the man. The man referencing her man. So the wife over her husband. Are you following me here? Why? Because it's emasculating. It's wrong. It's dishonorable. Remember that Christ is the head of the church. And so what if we, the church, the bride, told Jesus what to do every time we got together? Uh, it wouldn't work out very well for us, the church. We get our understanding, our revelation, our direction from our head, our groom, Christ. We don't argue with him. We don't, uh, we don't teach Jesus how to run the church. Now, there are some people that think that that's okay. God, they email me all the time. You know what you need to do? Yeah, please tell me. I've, I've been asking. Because you've pastored so many churches. Yeah, <laughs> it's quiet. Uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over her husband, you could say. She is to remain quiet. Does Kay exercise authority or teach me things? Okay, all of you that know me, you know the answer is yes, you just don't want to say it. <laughs> Thank you, one person. Kay teaches me things all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I... <laughs> and she exercises authority, I guess, over me at times, too. But it's in the places that she has the authority. If I get out of my... Lane, whether that's in the church, uh, let's say, uh, let's say I, I'm on the drums and I stand up, Ryan, here's what you need to do with the next song and here's how you need to do. I am out of place. You know, I actually like outrank Ryan. I'm senior pastor. But you know that I would be ungodly and antichrist to usurp authority over the worship leader during worship time. I sit there, submissive and humble to wherever he leads. And I'm getting better and better at it every day. I, I can hear it in his voice. I can see it in little signals in his body. I can even sometimes just feel it in the spirit that we're going to go here and there's going to be a build or there's going to be... That's sub you only get there through submission. And so the things that Kay is in charge of, the things that she has authority, 
I fully submit to. I don't have a clue how much money we got. I am for real. I don't have a clue. I literally have to ask her permission if I want to make a purchase. Not because I'm like, oh, please, baby, can I have some money? But because I just don't know. And Or give away. I barely seldom ever have purchases. But I'll be like, hey, I want to give $1,000 to such and such and so and so. Do we have it? And she'd be like, well... And if we don't have it, we figure it out. If we do have it, she said, yep, we've got it. Give it away. Praise Jesus. It's her authority. It's okay. If I was to usurp it, if I was just to come home and hand her a receipt for $5,000, you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to untangle the mess I put us in. All right. Uh, And then the last verse. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Does that mean Adam's better? You could actually make an argument, if you look at the Greek word, uh, I think it's uh, e- ezer in the, in the Hebrew, or not the Greek word, the Hebrew word in Genesis chapter 2 where it, or 3 where it says that the woman uh, came to be a help meet. That word is a word that's synonymous with what God does with mankind. So for all the male chauvinists in the room... God literally looked at the guy and said, oh boy, he's going to need somebody like me. <laughs> and made a woman. And that word rib doesn't mean like literally like cracked a rib out of Adam's side, but it literally means side. Like the other side. Like if you split somebody down the middle. So what he did was he took the side of woman out of man. He took her out of him. And presented her to him as a helper, helpmeet, like a divine part. Adam was created divinely. And then God created in divine ways her. But she came after to support, to help him. So that them could be successful. Her without him, that ain't going to work. Him without her, that ain't going to work. Them together, doing it the way that God intended for them to do it, face-to-face, equality, it's going to work. All right. That's the guy's perspective on a very, very deep, so I'm going to let Kay uh, take it from here. Sorry, I should have been more prepared. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to uh, kind of talk about with this one is uh, uh, it's not specifically referenced in those two scriptures, but at the same time, husband and wife relationship reflects Christ in the church. And in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 23, well, actually, let's start in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be subject unto their own husbands in everything. And so there's this reflection that a marriage has of Christ in the church. Christ is the head of the church. And so he needs to reflect in our marriage. 
Christ as the head. And uh, both of the references in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy, I think, is a reflection of that. There were wives in these churches that were not operating in that. If, if they had um, things that needed, they had questions on they needed to learn, instead of speaking out in the church and going to the, you know, the pastor, they should have been going to their husbands. You know, as, as, as the representative of Christ in our family, in our marriage, husband, what about this? What do you think about this? Um, can you help me understand the scripture? Which puts uh, a responsibility on all the husbands as the head of the home. Your wife should be able to go to you and say, hey, I need help understanding this. I need, I need help working this out. I, um, and part of what I believe was going on in the Corinthian church is a lot of these wives were going to the, the rabbi or the pastor instead of their husbands. Maybe because they had to. Think about that. How many, I mean, in like, just like in today's society, how many guys don't have a clue about spiritual things? And they have a, they have a wife that wants to know. And the guy's gonna tell them the stats of the cool football team that they love. Like, you think the gal wants that? And so they have no choice. They gotta go extramarital. Mm-hmm. That's not the way God intended for it to be. And again, just like Steve was sharing, that is emasculating. For, for, for me to go to, I know it's kind of weird because he's the pastor, but if, like, before we were, we were pastors of Beloved Church and we had, our, we had our church families in Texas, if I went to the, one of the pastors or the head pastor in those churches before I went to him with a, with a spiritual question, do you see how that would be emasculating to my husband? And so it just, it's just another uh, thing that I, that I believe is being addressed in 1 Corinthians, is that wives, your husband, like God has given him the ability and the, the gift to be able to understand and search the scriptures and be able to teach you or to help you understand something in the word. Um, but men have to be purposeful about getting into the words. So their wives can go to them and and get that understanding, and so they can just grow and learn together. I don't know how many times Steve and I have had that. And I love that. I love that even before he was the, the lead pastor of Beloved Church, he was always the person I went to with questions. Before, I, always. But he's been so purposeful about being in the Word and understanding it and having that balance. That, that's a gift to me. He, you know, I know... Maybe y'all think he does that for y'all. But he did it for me first. Amen. Okay, uh, just to remind you, this, these are deep, deep subject matters that we no way covered uh, exhaustively. So, again, like I, I would tell you that uh, Ryan, uh, Dr. Benjamin, did a, does a great job on Expedition 44. He goes through all this kind of stuff. He shows the different egalitarian versus complementarian stuff. He, he's more egalitarian than I am, 
and I'm fine with that. I'm telling you to go to somebody that doesn't exactly believe the way I believe. Because I trust the Holy Spirit in you. And you and your husband, you and your, your spouse should work it out. Because the reality is, is that what we have is working amazingly for us. This works for us, which might not work for everybody in the room. But the Bible is, is clear on what doesn't work. What doesn't work is people usurping authority, mousy men and braggadocious gals. All that stuff is, is gone. And I don't care if your husband's spiritual or not. You don't get to usurp authority over him. It doesn't say unless your husband's a jerk, then you can usurp authority. It's not in there. It's super quiet in here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, you know, yeah. Oh, thanks, thanks, bro. Got one guy with me. All right, next question. We'll just move on because it's just getting awkward. We need to. <laughs> uh, does Scripture tell us how or why God chose Solomon? as David's successor instead of any of his other sons. I'm wondering if it pertains to the mercy of God being demonstrated after what happened with David and Bathsheba. All right, so if you're taking notes or if you're going to watch this later, I'm going to give you some references. Write them down, go look them up. In your own time, and you'll, uh, the Holy Spirit will help you unpack some of this stuff. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 16, is uh, kind of that where the Lord uh, prophesies basically to David about uh, his son coming, which not only was Solomon, but it was Christ. Remember, David was a type and shadow of so many things. And so his son, remember, Jesus was called the son of David. Radical. That is radical that Jesus was called the son of a guy. The, so the, but it's because of these kind of prophecies that David received that not only prophesied Solomon, but also prophesied Christ. First Chronicles chapter 22, verses 6 through 10 is some other important pieces to that puzzle. First Kings, chapter 1, most of the chapter 1 through 28. And where we're going to look at real quick, and I'm just going to read through these because it's 14 verses, and I know people don't like to hear too much Bible in church, and so I won't make it excruciating. But First Kings, chapter 3, verse 1, kid, in the BSB, please. And I'm just going to read through these in Jesus' name. Later, Solomon formed an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying his daughter. Solomon brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his palace and the house of the Lord, as well as the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing on the high places because a house for the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Pause. Sorry. <laughs> this high places thing, this is a radical revelation that the Lord gave me, because this is all over the Old Testament, about this high places thing. And I was always like, Lord, are you mad because people are sacrificing to you at a higher altitude than other people? 
Okay, am I the only one that thinks? Okay. I was always like, what's the problem with sacrificing on high places or worshiping on high places or having their own high places? I'm like, what is so bad about high places? And, I, and the Lord finally like unraveled it for me. It wasn't necessarily about the high places. One, high places was how all of the other uh, religions in society operated. They went to high places so that they could worship their God, which were little g-gods. And our big G God never called for that. So they incorporated societal ways into their religion, number one. And number two, they didn't do it God's way. God told them specifically what worship looks like, where to do it, how to do it, with whom, when. And they were like, eh, I don't want to do it that way. Oh my God, do you not understand how much of this is America? I don't want to go to a church. I don't want to be a part of organized religion. I don't need no pastor. I got the Holy Spirit. I don't need I don't need to do any of that stuff that they do at my church. I don't need to submit to nobody. I don't need that is high places all over the place. I don't need to do the Bible. I can I can fornicate and be okay because it's twenty twenty two. I know that God wants people to be sexually pure and married and in covenant and all that kind of stuff, but I don't, we don't have to do that today because it's, it's different now. Well, now, you know, God's okay with homosexuality now. He didn't used to be, but, you know, God had like, he had a change of heart. He's way more liberal now. This is what, I'm, I know you're laughing, but I'm telling you, we have a society about half of our society thinks that killing a baby inside the mother's body is called health care. I don't even have a grid to where a person can murder an innocent, of all the innocent lives, to murder a baby in the womb, literally invade the body and murder it and call it health care. And call it freedom of choice or whatever they call it. And then lambast me because I say it's murder. I was put on a suspension on one of my social, probably Facebook, for saying something just like that, that abortion is murder. I can't remember how I said it, but they didn't like it. That's what God calls it. Actually, God calls it Moloch worship. It actually, it actually is worshiping another god, the god of child sacrifice. Every time there's an abortion, there is an actual sacrifice to Moloch, which is a satanic entity. Every time a baby is aborted, Satan gets worshipped. Why do you think these people are literally like ravenous and militaristic over it? Because they are demon-possessed. High place worship. This is why it was so detestable to God, because it was worship your way. Well, this is how I feel. I don't want to have to raise my hands in worship. Pin drop, you hear that? Hi, <laughs> Dad. I'm not going to worship like that. I'm not going to be like that guy in worship. I'm not going to worship like it says in the Bible where David danced before the Lord. I'm not going to dance before the Lord. It's not how I am. Clap your hands, all you people. Well, not this people. I'm not going to clap my hands. Be awkward. People would look at me. I know because your worship's for people. 
They were doing it their way. And it was detestable. It was, it was vomitous to God that they were doing it. Please, do not think that you doing your life your way and then calling it God is for even a second right. The people, however, were still sacrificing on the high places because a house for the name of the Lord had not yet been built. And Solomon loved the Lord. If you're paying attention to the question, why did God choose Solomon? Solomon loved the Lord. That was not said about any other of David's children. Solomon, and notice it doesn't say the Lord loved Solomon. Solomon loved the Lord and walked in his statute and the statutes of his father, David. That's a radical statement. I know I'm not supposed to be preaching right now, but he didn't walk in the statutes of the Bible. He didn't walk in the statutes of the rabbis. He walked in the statutes of his father. He honored his father and did what his father told him to do. Want to know why God chose him over the other kids? There you go. Except that he sacrificed and burnt. Except, and it literally puts it in there. Except. So he was stupid here. But he loved God and he did what his daddy told him to do. And God chose him for those two reasons. Except that he sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for it was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar there. If you're paying attention, a thousand burnt offerings, we're probably talking about ox, which would be the equivalent today of about five to eight thousand dollars. Yeah, when Bob says, hey, please support the work of God here at the church, I'll tell you that Christianity is terrible with money. If there was a rabbi that sat up here that was doing an offering, <laughs> I'm just going to move. You have no problem Netflix sending you or your inter, your your cable bill sending you a hundred and eighty dollar bill for cable. Ben and people sitting here and flip a twenty dollar bill to God and think that they done did something or not. I don't have to give. I'm a Christian. Okay. You have to give for your cable, which just means that your cable actually has more benefit in your life than God. Now, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for it was a great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar there. One night at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, Ask, and I will give it to you. (laughs) Solomon replied, You have shown much loving devotion to your servant, My father, David, do you see Solomon's heart for his dad? Because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and uprightness of heart. Pause. This is Solomon, son of Bathsheba. If you don't know your Bible, I'll just quickly tell you that David committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed her husband when she ended up pregnant. This is the son of the woman 
that had forced adultery on her who ended up pregnant and still has this much honor for his father. For all of you that say, well, my dad isn't worthy of honor. My dad doesn't. Mm-hmm. That might be why you're not a, uh, you're not, the Lord can't trust you with promotion and taking you to where you need to go because you think doing what he wants you to do is contingent on some other person. And you have maintained this loving devotion by giving him a son to sit on his throne this very day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in my father David's place, but I am only a little child. Notice the humility. This is why God can trust people in leadership. The more he can trust you in leadership is going to be equivalent to the more you trust him to be a leader. My leadership grows exponentially the more I lean deeply, needfully on him. The more arrogant, prideful, I got this figured out. I did that in the world. In the world, you're supposed to be that way. You want to be a good leader in the world? Let everybody know how good of a leader you are. Have a big name tag on your card. Walk around with your chest puffed out and tell people what to do. Fire someone if you have to. Set a precedent. Everybody knows. I fire up. In the world, that works. And you're not actually a good leader. You're a manager or a supervisor, and you're terrible. In the kingdom, only in the kingdom can you be a leader. But I was only a little child, not knowing how to go out or come in. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen. A people too numerous to count. Notice he also knows that they're not his people. There's another thing about leadership. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had made this request. So God said to him, since you have asked for this instead of requesting long life or wealth for yourself or death for your enemies, but you have asked for discernment to administer justice, behold, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there has never been nor will ever be another like you. That is radical. Uh, Do 13 and 14 real quick. Moreover, I will give you what you did not request, both riches and honor, so that during all your days, no man in any kingdom will be your equal. So if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commandments, just as your father, the adulterer, murderer guy, just as your father David did, I will prolong your life. And I'm not going to get into this too deep because it's a it's at least a good solid two hours. But the fact that David was the standard for all kings and even so much so that Jesus was called the son of David, you need to understand how God deals with the heart of authentic people. Which is why... God can't trust some people, even in this room. God bless you. I love you. God loves you. But God can't trust some of the people in this room because you just won't be authentic before God. 
and, and especially before man. What God did was he honored Solomon because Solomon was so real, so genuine, so authentic that he's like, look, I just want to be a good leader and take care of your people and rule well in the throne that my daddy gave me. And God said, man, since you asked for the right thing, not only you get that, but you get all this other stuff. In other words, you seek first the kingdom, and I'll add all these other things to you. And Solomon, in the days of Solomon, they had no wars. He reigned for uh, 30 years. They had no wars, and they were so wealthy as a nation, as a nation, that they threw silver out in the streets because it was like garbage. We have yet to see in America what God wants to do with a nation fully submitted to him. Until we're throwing silver out in the streets like we don't want it, we have never even got anywhere close to the kind of prosperity that God desires for us to have. It was Solomon's heart that made him the leader. You said everything I wanted to say. That was perfect. That was perfect. Holy praise Jesus. Next question. Can you talk about falling asleep when you are reading the Bible or even in church? (laughs) Why are y'all laughing? Who is sleeping? How do you break free from that? Oh boy. Kid, will you go to 1 Corinthians 9.27 in the BSB, please? Oh, Mitch. What the heck happened back there? <laughs> Fired the kid. Kid, I love you! Wherever you want. 1 Corinthians 9.27. No. I know I'm breaking right into a thought. No. I discipline my body and make it my slave. Got one amen. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You not ruling over your physical body disqualifies you. (laughs) Yeah, but even the people that really love me are closing one eye and staring at me wrong on that one. I didn't even write it. We live, in a, we live in a time that 95% of born-again, spirit-filled Christians are led by what their body tells them or what their emotions tell them. And they tell everyone they're led by the Spirit. It is gross. If you're led by your body, oh my God, it's five afternoon, Pastor. Don't you know we got to eat lunch? Don't you know it's been a long time? Don't you know? Anybody know what you're going to do in heaven for like a quadrillion years? Amen. You know how many of you would not have stayed for the Sermon on the Mount? Three days, no food? No air conditioning? 
You'd have been like, I'm out of here, preacher. No, they actually wanted to have the truth of God so much in their life that they disciplined their bodies. Yeah. We, we literally live in a society that you... If I went through the average person's checkbook, I'll guarantee way over 50% of your money goes for comfort reasons, for pleasure, for your emotions, and for your body. Because we have got to serve our carcass, as Pastor Bob calls it, because whatever your carcass says, I'm tired, go to sleep. I'm hungry, go eat something. Do you want to eat something good? Nope, I want something really terrible fattening, and sugary. Okay, I'll give it to you. If I give you enough, will you shut up? Maybe. Probably not. You, I'm only giving you one dessert. I want five. Fine, four. <laughs> I know I should start exercising. New Year's resolution. I'm going to drop X number of pounds. Really? Where are you going to drop it? I'm going to drop it right here. <laughs> Romans 8. I'm going to go in the ESV. What the? What's up, kid? (laughs) Okay, just stop it. (laughs) Romans 8, uh, verses 12 and 13. I'm going to use the ESV on this one. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh. And just pause right there. You know you owe your flesh nothing? You know your flesh ain't going to like that? No, you owe me. You better give me a back rub. I want a pedicure right now. You will eat or I will make noises and embarrass you. Right? Don't you dare work out. You know what we're going to feel like in two days? We, we feel like we owe our body. How about our emotions? I feel terrible right now. I should probably go shopping. (laughs) Because that will make it all better. Go buy yourself something that you didn't need and spend money you didn't have to help your emotions. Which, I'm a guy. I don't have a grid for that. I know gals are more moved by that kind of stuff. But... I don't think we realize how much of our lives are literally driven by, not just influenced. I mean actual steering wheel controlling the vehicle based upon what our body wants and what our emotions want. I want to feel depressed right now. Fine, we're going to be depressed. How long? A month. Fine. How many pills do I need? Five. Cool, I'll go to the doctor. The insurance will cover it. We're debtors. We owe it to ourselves. How many times have you even heard people use that terminology? Well, I owe it to myself to do this thing and this stuff. Really? Okay, good to know. You owe it to yourself. We are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to your flesh, then your flesh is your Lord. Next verse. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. (laughs) Remember, die isn't like stop breathing. Because Adam was told that if he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he will die, die. Die, die. Extra die. 
This is telling you that if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. You know, you could live 80 years according to the flesh and never really have experienced life. And I know you really think, what in the world is this going to do with falling asleep? Because what we're, falling asleep, reading the Bible, or falling asleep in church in a spiritual context just means that you're on purpose desensitized to the spiritual things and you're very sensitized to the natural things. If you on purpose sensitize yourself to the spiritual things, the spiritual things will have value. Everyone in this room, get this, Everyone in this room, there is something that you can do sitting down that you would never fall asleep to. Because you value and appreciate that thing that you do. But if you sit in a church and I preach, then you'll fall asleep. Which means you don't value that. And I'm not picking on nobody. I'm just saying it's just true. If you're reading the Bible, if you're literally, you know, reading the Bible is actually listening to Jesus because John 1 1 says that the Bible, that the scriptures are Jesus. And so if you're reading the Bible, listening to Jesus and you fall asleep, that just means that Jesus really ain't worth as much as you maybe think that he is. Now you will have to transition this. I spent two years in Bible college having to figure this out. I had to discipline. You don't just get to say, oh, Pastor Steve said it, and this is, so I, that's it. I'm done being sleepy in church, and I'm done being sleepy reading the Bible. Okay. You can say, I'm going to start, based upon that revelation I'm starting today. But if you don't discipline your body, and I mean this, you're, most of our diets are terrible. Terrible. If I followed you around for one day and you didn't change your diet, you would be embarrassed. That's why you hide that stuff. That's why it's sneaky in the car. That's why you sneak through the drive-thru. That's why you do the little, you got the little cupboard with the stuff that, if I, you invited me over to your house, you wouldn't say, hey, Pastor, check out my cupboard with all the stuff. Oh, that's some gross garbage. <laughs> the, you have to discipline this stuff. You've got to get things out. You, our bodies were not meant to run on some of the stuff that we put in it. You put water in your gas tank, and you can get mad at Scott all you want. It ain't his fault your car broke down. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You don't start your car for two or three years, i.e. exercise. You know the worst thing you can do to a car? We, we know this, this, is a, this is an old mechanics thing. The worst thing you can do to a car is let it sit. You know the worst thing you can do to your body? And then eat junk. Put water in a gas tank and let it sit. And then you're going to blame God because you're sick or tired or miserable. Really? We are not disciplining this, what God gave us, and so we're going to have the effects that you have. And the enemy will say, well, you're, you're not that bad because if you watch a movie that's got lots of explosions and sex scenes and cuss words in it, you're paying attention the whole time. So obviously you don't have a problem paying attention. It's just that boring preacher. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You can do this. You're going to have to discipline it. Discipline doesn't mean a moment. 
Discipline means you on purpose make this decision and every time something happens. Now it could be spiritual stuff. The enemy literally could be coming to you trying to make you, uh, trying to make you tired. The, the enemy could literally, anybody ever got hungry because they smelt something? You weren't hungry. Totally everything's fine. Trucking along just good and then you smell something. You're like, man, do I need a hamburger. Because that, that's how sensitive your body and, and those external things are, your emotions and stuff like that. That's how sensitive they are to that. So if you desensitize to that and you sensitize the other way, you know, you could actually be trucking along, having a good time, someone, and, and the Holy Spirit could drop a little word or a little part of a verse in you, and you'd be like, oh, that's awesome. Man, that, if I apply that to that and then this. 1 Corinthians 14:32. Please. 1 Corinthians 14.32. I'll just tell you what it says. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know what that means? The spirit on the inside of you is going to be as active, as life-giving, and as exciting to you as you want it to be. Man. Man. I wish I could untap that for a while, but I'm going to let Kay go. Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that. Um, honestly, Steve touched on the, the two things that I, I don't wanted to say as well. Um, that if you are falling asleep when you're reading the Word, if you're falling asleep during um, a service, you have not put your flesh under and we all learn and grow and um, and disciplining our flesh. But just like Steve said, you're you're only going to do it through the Spirit of God. And so you're you're going to have to go to God for yourself and ask Him to show you what you need to do in order to discipline your flesh. Because it it could be a natural thing, just like Steve was. It could be your diet. You got to be willing to let God tell you you eat crap. And then be willing to make a change. God poking at you. Maybe you, you're, you're not getting the sleep you're supposed to be getting. Or you're up till 2 a.m. And then you wonder why you fall asleep reading your Bible at church the next day. There are things, obviously, that God is going to minister to us in the natural. That we can make adjustments that are causing our body to be weak. But then there also is that... That truth that, you know, I'm excited to come here on Sunday morning. Right. I'm excited to open my Bible because right. I know that God is going to speak to me through his word. That when I come here Sunday morning, this isn't, it isn't Steve that I come here to listen to. Right? <laughs> He purposes every week to go to God and say, God, what do you have for our, my beloved family today? God is speaking to us every Sunday morning. The Father is saying, this is what I want this church to know and have a revelation and understanding about. And I'm not going to miss out because my body is trying to be stupid. All right? This is God telling us what he wants for our beloved family to know and to learn and to grow in. 
And I want to do that with y'all. I don't want to miss out because I can't discipline my flesh. Last question. I have heard it said that accepting Jesus and that and that being it is like fire insurance. I understand that concept. I have also heard it said by several mature Christians, including Pastor Steve, that people aren't really aren't born again if their lifestyles don't give witness of that. How can both be possible? I have family members that I witnessed except Jesus, and it really approved, appeared real in the moment. But since then, there is so little desire to even acknowledge God. From what I can tell, they aren't doing openly wicked things. They are probably what the Bible calls lukewarm, leading a good life, being nice, but little interaction with God. All right. Let me, I try to do this very, very uh, cautiously. That I separate the difference between born again and saved. You can be born again and not saved. And the best way that I, I say that is uh, Hannah her, is a castle. She was born a castle. So if she wants to, she can go rob a bank. She can go, you know, be a terrorist. She can go whatever. It's not going to be congruent with Castle because that's not the culture of our family. That, that's not the, eth- the ethnics of our family. But she can do that and still be a Castle. But she's not going to reap the benefits or be saved as a Castle. So you can be born again and live like the devil. You're going to have a terrible, terrible, terrible life. You'd actually be, that's why Jesus said, you'd actually be, it'd be better for you to not be born again and live terrible than to be born again and live terrible. Being born again and living terrible is the most excruciating, painful thing ever because you are literally going against your nature. And so I try to separate language-wise the difference between born again and saved. Saved is you're actually living in those benefits that Jesus has for you. The word saved, sozo, means healed, delivered, blessed, prospering, happy, joyful. A person that is born again and living like the world is one of the most wretched people you'll ever meet. They are sucking lemons on both sides of their cheeks. And I know these people. They fake it well. They usually they'll show up to church however often, and they'll they'll walk in and they'll have a smile and they'll and they'll fake it. But I know, they know, and Jesus knows that their lives are filled with misery, and they are just plodding along day to day. First John chapter three. Almost the whole chapter kind of talks about this. I'm going to do this, obviously, real quick. Uh, in verse 3, please use the BSB, kid. First uh, John chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 3. Anyone who has this hope, talking about the, the life of Christ on the inside of them, purifies himself just as Christ is pure. So a person that really, truly has the hope of God living in their life 
they are going to be pursuing purity. So if a person is not pursuing purity, and obviously having God godly fruit in their lives, then they don't have that hope in them. This is what the Bible says. If you have that hope in you, you're purifying yourself. So if you, have, if you know someone that is quote-unquote born again, I don't know. If they're not on purpose living to purify themselves, I don't know. Now here's the thing. Don't assume that because you've seen someone pray a prayer one day from some emotional response from some really crazy preacher that just in that one moment that they had this authentic divine encounter. No, a lot of encounters that I believe that people have are emotional. I could sit here and tell you terrible whiny stories about kittens and you would cry. Probably not. But does that mean that you were born again as a cat? No. Just because somebody responds to something emotionally, don't assume for a second. Or in a terrible circumstance. You know, like, you know, your wife gets cancer and she almost dies in the hospital. And so the guy cries out to God, God, heal my wife. I can't live without my wife. And then she, then she gets healed or she gets healthy or whatever. And then the guy's like, right. I done prostituted Jesus on that one. Now back at it. And they go right back in your lifestyle. Don't assume for a second that, that guy got born again. He just cried out to God. People cry out to God all the time. They're not born again. And, and I'm, not, I'm not the judge, okay? So I don't know. And neither do you. Yeah. I'm not going to assume one way. You don't assume another way. Yeah. Only God knows what really happens in a person's heart. I will tell you this, that if there's no fruit on that tree, if you walked up to a tree that someone told you for the last 27 years was an apple tree and you've never one time ever seen an apple on it, you might start to doubt. And you'd be just in doubting. And I know you're thinking, well, you're judgmental. Okay, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter Mm -hmm. 7 that you judge a tree by its fruit. If there's no fruit, judge it. Amen. I'd like to read through the rest of these verses, but I won't because I don't want anybody to have to figure out if they're disciplined in their body or their appetite or their sleepiness. But the, the bottom line to this is that somebody could be a terrible Christian and born again. Mm-hmm. And someone could be fairly moral, living fairly well, and not born again. And only the Spirit knows. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, No man knows what's in the heart of a man except for the spirit of a man, and nobody knows what's in the spirit of a man except for the spirit of God. You don't know, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, a person who's truly born again is probably having something going on on the inside of them. Either they are terribly excruciating because they know they're not living right, or they're just not born again. And I know that that's terrible. God forbid we tell someone that they're not born again. I was just talking to oh uh, one of the people that came last night that came from a funeral for a guy who was 15 years old, never stepped foot in a church, and had ungodly parents. And the preacher, God bless him, God bless her, the preacher stood up and said, well, you know, he's in a better place and he's with God and got... And this guy, who's an authentic Christian, said, it was terrible, uh, Pastor, it was hard to listen to because I know, you know, God knows, they went to hell. Mm-hmm. 
This is one of the things that gets me about parents, how parents like, fine, you don't want to go to church, that's fine. You better send your kids. You want to go to hell, that's fine. Don't you dare damn your kids because you're a lazy slob. Amen. <laughs> there you go, baby. And on that note, yep, 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 yep. Over to Kate. Um, it's amazing how I want to say the same things that you say every time. Most of the time. Um, one question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really have anything to add to that. That is, like, we honestly don't, don't know. I know I am, but I can't, I can't judge, right. you know, whether anybody else that is or not accepts their fruit. Right. I know who my father is. Kay knows who her father is. I don't know about other people. Yeah. Jesus said you're either of your father, Satan. Or you're of your father God. There's only two fathers. You're one or the other. And I'm just saying, if you're not trying to be like your father, if you're not trying to be like Christ, it's probably not him. It could be. But it's just probably not. If you're looking for reasons to live like Satan, but then call God your father, (laughs) somebody's being fooled here. Uh, The last thing I'll say is that that terminology, lukewarm, Jesus wrote to Christians. It's in Revelation chapter 3. It was to the Laodicean church. And he said, you guys, you the church at Laodicea have lukewarm people in there. So also, here's the other thing. Don't think that just because you're sitting in a building with a steeple on it on Sunday morning that you're good. Jesus literally said, there's people sitting in your church, your local body, who I'm going to vomit out of my mouth. Now, I'm not a theologian. But I don't think being vomited out of Jesus' mouth is a really good thing that we should all look forward to in the sweet by and by. Which means that there were people sitting in a church that were going to be vomited out. I don't want to be one of those people. And if you're looking for a reason that you can kind of stay as close to the fence as you can, well, I still, I still want to do the drugs and alcohol and womanize and, and be addicted to porn and still be born again. How can I figure that out, Jesus? You can't. He's either Lord or he's not. I, I, don't, I know that's just way too black and white. I've actually had people quit the church over statements like that, but I'm not going to change. It's not my kingdom. I'm just going to tell you how it works in the kingdom. If you want to live like Satan and call God your father, he's not going to be your surrogate uh, uh, sugar daddy. Where you get the little things and just kind of call them that. It doesn't work that way. You're either in with him and you're trying to make your lifestyle look like his or you're out. Let me bless you. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved.
Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.